Welcome to Keeping Your Together in a Stressed World with Michelle Post and Scott Grossberg. Each week, we explore down and dirty ways to stop awfulizing, catastrophizing, going down the rabbit hole, and moving through all the craziness that is happening right now. We're here to create a community of like-minded people as we give you tips, tricks, and techniques for keeping sane in an unhinged world. And now, here are your hosts, Michelle Post and Scott Grossberg. Hey, everybody. This is Scott Grossberg, one of your co-hosts for the amazing podcast, Keeping Your Shit Together in a Stressed World. And I'm here with my co-host, Michelle. Michelle Post, how are you? Hello, Scott. I'm doing very well. How are you? Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm doing well. Going to adjust my sound here just a tad. Uh, thank you all for joining us on the various platforms. Uh, I know that uh, some of you are listening to us on the new Clubhouse, so I appreciate you joining us there uh, for just some logistic purposes for today. Michelle is monitoring the chat room. Yes. Uh, I am monitoring uh, Ask Clubhouse uh, for those of you that might be on that platform. And today we have a, a really interesting show. However, before we start, uh, Michelle and I, as usual, kind of share notes of what's been going on in our lives or with clients. Mm -hmm. uh, and anything anything that you've noticed, Michelle, with um, the folks that you coach and work with and, and give therapy to? Yes, I, I have started to get the questions about now that I'm vaccinated or soon will be vaccinated or the world will soon be vaccinated, what do I do? Do I start going out in the world again? How do I manage my risk? Because some of the vaccines protect against serious illness and hospitalization, but you might get sick. Um, how do I manage my social anxiety? I've been away from people for so many months. What do I start doing with crowds? I've even noticed myself that as stores are opening up and people are beginning to run more errands, that I'm still following the little arrows, go down this aisle this way and this aisle this way and, and attempting to keep myself some socially distanced. But a lot of people don't seem to be paying attention to it at all. They're not paying attention to the six feet apart at all. And while I am vaccinated from my own personal choice around that, it doesn't mean everyone else can't possibly be. <laughs> like, <laughs> so yeah. how do you manage your anxiety? And I would say that, you know, today's topic triggers for change, maybe part of a trigger for change for some of you out there will be recognizing that the world is going to partially go back to, you know, or make some changes. And will your work life change? Um, you know, have you moved or, or gone far away? while still maintaining the same work and how do you get back to that? So I think today's episode is perfect timing when we think about making some changes and, and keeping your shit together in the middle of a, a stressed world. Yeah, and, and I gotta tell you, I've actually noticed very similar trends uh, with the folks that I connect with. Uh -huh. And uh, even over the weekend, I sent you uh, an article of what do we, you know, that I came upon, what, you know, what is the world going to do now that it's completely exactly stressed itself into a new normalcy? Uh -huh. And I don't know that we're ever 
as a business person, I don't know that we're ever going back. Right. It's, uh, and, you know, I've said this before, just as a quick example for folks, you know, right before shutdown, uh, both Michelle and I moved, we physically moved. I actually have never gotten to explore my new town. Me either, really. <laughs> the, the way we really expected to do that. Uh, we've lived in a bubble, but I was on the road doing 200 events a year, live yeah, events. Yeah. And that, that dramatically went down to zero in the right. course of a few days. Zero. Exactly. exactly. And even into the next you know, that will this year and certainly into next year. Yes, I've had more inquiries about events. They're all virtual. Yes. Uh, nobody is asking about, hey, let, let's person, go out. Yeah. And, and I say this mm -hmm. from a business perspective, mm -hmm. you know, Michelle and I are not experts in, in the science of this virus. No way. No and way. so, you know, and, and I am not giving you legal advice and Michelle's not giving you psychological advice mm -mm. in the show, but I can tell you that as a business person, mm -hmm. if I were to throw a live event right now and people were to come to it and there was what, the, you know, they used to call it a super spreader. I don't know that we still have those, but that right. super spreader event, right. I'll tell you what, I better, I better let my insurance carrier know that I've exactly. just created an event that has yes. caused exposure mm -hmm. that in the quote, end quote, normal world, right. You know, you, who, who would ever have thought to sue for, for getting a cold or sue for getting the flu, right? You don't think about that. No. Now, now it's a different sensitivity mm -hmm. and it makes sense in light of what we're doing. That said, I too, Michelle, have noticed yeah. even when I, I do my walking meditation outside uh, or my wife goes to the store, she might come back and she's like, there's a lot of people out there. Yes. Nobody cares. And nobody seems to care. Um, yeah. And yeah. I think that there, it, it's, you know, some of this is the messaging that comes out as well, because I was just reading, I'm, I don't have young kids in school anymore, obviously. Uh, yes, I'm that old. <laughs> I, I am as old as I look. Uh, and, <laughs> you look very young and, for those uh, people that can't see you. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I, I was just reading that here, you know, Michelle, if you and I get together in the new normal world, yes, it's a six foot recommendation. Still. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they're well, debating the school, about whether the schools it's three. Are now, the mm -hmm. schools are now saying three. Because if both people are wearing masks, if, if both are masked up, the science supports that you can be closer, but both parties have to be masked up. And the problem is like, even when we went out this weekend, we noticed that workers at the restaurant where we were, were masked up, but everyone else inside yeah. had no masks on. And that's not gonna protect the workers or the people that aren't vaccinated. Cause you're, you're inside very close to other people in some cases, a lot less than six or three feet. And like, it's a little weird, you know, do I put my mask on for the three feet? It takes me to walk out the door, even though I've been yeah. sitting inside without a mask eating. It's, it's very strange. And I will add to it. Uh, you might not know this, but therapists have to keep up. We have to do 36 hours of continued education units every two years to renew our license. And every year, at least six of those need to be on the current changes in the legal and ethical guidelines for being a therapist in California, in my case. 
And there was a whole debate about what do I need to do if I go back to seeing people in person and my cleaning practices and having a COVID waiver for people and things that we never thought about before. Or if I stay remote, our insurance company is going to start lowering what they can pay certain therapists because they just, it, it's telemedicine. So they're using it as an excuse to maximize their profits which hasn't been going on during COVID, but may come. So there's all these shifts and changes going on yeah. that, you know, like if you have 10 minutes to go to the bathroom, write your notes and prepare for your next session between sessions as a therapist, where are you going to fit in wiping down your whole office, the doorway, the waiting room, you know, you're not going to be able to schedule clients that close together, which means you're going to going to either need to raise your fees or, see less people, make less of an income. It's really fascinating the things that you need to think about. Yeah. And and again, from like I'll I'll bring in the entrepreneur perspective <laughs> to this. Um, you know, a lot of us have found, again, I'm on the road 200 days a year, live mm -hmm. events, well, not 200 days a year, 200 live events. Uh, and on the road to get there, I used to joke, I, really, we used to joke as public speakers, you're paying me to travel. Right. I show up and do the event for free. Right, right. Um, well, you're not paying me to travel anymore. And no. so all of us in that realm have had mm -hmm. to drastically pivot mm -hmm. how we approach our revenue stream yes. and revenue model. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. I tell you what, as we move back out of the physical distancing, I mm -hmm. actually kind of like this now. I know, and, I do. And, it's, and, you know, one of the things, Michelle, you and I had chatted about before was, God, wouldn't it be nice if we could take our businesses and move them into a, before the shutdown, move yeah. them into a virtual mm -hmm. space so that what we were working <laughs> with were, were exactly what we're doing now. I um, know. I you know, most wild. of us, look at us now, most of us have our own television studios. <laughs> no. That's what we're Microphones doing right now. And cameras and <laughs> you know, I see, I see Alicia uh, on on here with us right now. Nice shirt, by the way, Alicia. Um, I, I, <laughs> uh, you, I, I feel you. Um, you know, in all, Alicia's got her own television studio. That's right. Alicia's a superstar, right? Everybody right. who calls in is a, <laughs> is, is a celebrity, and uh -huh. it's not the old. You know, everybody wants their 15 minutes of fame. You can get it anytime that you want now. It's true. And live I live think video I'll, on Facebook, uh, Instagram stories. I mean. Yeah. And I think I'll, what's happening now is that a lot of business owners yeah. are, are starting to realize I don't need to have the physical footprint that I had before. Right, right, right. What the heck does that mean? Right. Um, and it, I, I, again, I've known a number of people, they've moved to home offices. Mm -hmm. They've moved to virtual workspaces mm -hmm. where they're basically renting a 10 by 10 room in, in some location, but you'd mm -hmm. never know it because mm -hmm. hell, we've all got virtual backdrops now, right? If we needed uh -huh. to use them, uh -huh. you know, you want, you want an expensive uh, home look. All you have to do is buy a, a $20 green screen, uh -huh. light it, uh -huh. and you can put anything behind uh -huh. you. Yeah, uh, you can be anywhere in the world. So Bally. We, Bally we, I in think we, <laughs> I, I think, I think we really are moving into yeah. a new way of doing business as well, yeah. which has its ups and downs. 
uh, and kind of leads into one of the things that you and I had chatted about for today's show. Yeah. I think it's a great lead in for it is mm -hmm. that a lot of people at a personal level and a lot of people at a business level are finding themselves between a rock and a hard place. Right. Uh, and that angst is in there. So um, I don't know if this is a good time to just segue into Let's do it. our discussion. Um, you know, one of the things we're, we're today, we're talking about triggers for change. Mm -hmm. And Michelle and I come at this topic from different perspectives. Mm -hmm. um, Michelle comes at this from a therapeutic background. And, and I think, you know, Michelle, we, I, I know we've done this in the past, but it, I think it would really help for this show yeah. for people to understand your background so oh, that sure. they know, you know, what the hell you're talking about. Oh, I, sometimes. <laughs> well, um, so I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of California, and I've been practicing close to 25 <laughs> years. I can't believe I'm close to 25 years. And my specialty has been grief and loss and trauma as well as stress management. So that's been the main uh, practice that I've had for at least 15 to 20 years of the 25 years I've been practicing. And um, people come to me for a variety of reasons. And Scott and I, we were talking about, well, what does it mean to hit bottom? You know, because we were talking about, well, how do we know when somebody's really ready for change? And what does it mean to hit bottom? And from my perspective, it's any time you hit a place where you will do whatever it takes to make the change that you see is needed in your life. Now, there's lots of little changes along the way. Like we can create a small change in our life just simply because we're bored and we want to try something new. We want to go travel somewhere, try a new restaurant, start a new hobby, you know, the pandemic caused me to revisit old hobbies like painting. Paint started with paint by number. I just finished my latest project, which is not a paint by number at all. It's all freehand. Oh, wow. It's a four panel piece for my my guest bedroom. Sorry to kind of share share that, but, <laughs> but I'm really proud of it. It's kind of a strange mid-century modern piece, but that was simple like boredom right? Like it was just bored and I wanted something creative in my life. And what used to be going out and traveling and photography was so limited during the pandemic, I needed another form of creativity. So change can be created from something as simple as boredom or something really life-changing, like what might bring someone to my practice, the death of someone close, a traumatic incident, an injury, a life change, desire to change careers, you know, I did this because my parents loved it and, you know, and I went along with it and I am miserable, you know, help me find my passion again, could be a divorce or a separation or a relationship breakup. So those are the things that would bring someone into my practice. And that's, that's my, my background. That's what I've been specializing in for years. Yeah. And, and just again, with my perspective, I do life coaching and executive coaching. And so my main emphasis is, okay, here's where you are today. Where do you want to be? How do we get there? Mm -hmm. um, it is, I don't do therapy. And so that's mm -hmm. the beauty of today's show is that we bring in uh, different perspectives. I'm working with people who show up and uh, as I've 
I think I've mentioned in other shows, but one of the things that I mentioned to Michelle was, you know, my four S's, right? Stopped, stuck, stagnant, and stalled. Oh, yes. Uh, th- those are the those are the people that I work with uh-huh. who say, Scott, I'm I I'm here, I've plateaued. Mm-hmm. Uh, my set point isn't changing. And we've right. talked about set points in shows before mm-hmm. that we are all wired at some point to be at a certain level of performance, excellence, uh, and uh, outcome design. That's mm-hmm. something, you know, something I call it. And that set point can move. Well, when it stalls, and it's much like weight loss, right? You, you go on a diet or mm-hmm. you start a new exercise program and let's get real that we all i think we all know that when you start a new exercise and or weight loss program you immediately lose water weight yeah so you get a big loss so, up front. so you, you know you'll drop 10 pounds let's say mm-hmm. and it's and it's you know five to ten pounds and it's water weight and you go oh my god i'm making progress yes. this is phenomenal right and, and then your set point in your body says whoa idiot that's not what's happening here what you're <laughs> doing is you're starving me Right. Uh-huh. And, and, I then don't like and then you. if you don't, if you don't do it in a smart way, if you don't do the weight loss and or exercise in a smart way, your body doesn't have time to recover and you go into starvation mode and it's not healthy. And so right. you either plateau or you start gaining weight because your body right. goes into that. Oh, I think we need to hoard food now because winter is coming. Right. Um, and, and so, <laughs> Game of Thrones, um, right. you know, those are the folks that I deal with, not in a weight loss and exercise context, but if you took that metaphor and applied it to business, business and quality and of life, mm-hmm. it's the same thing. We all mm-hmm. plateau at a certain time. Sure. Uh, there's nothing wrong with plateauing. That's stalling, right? Right. The question is, do you move from stalling Stall. so think about what your car is you, uh-huh. you your car is moving mm-hmm. but it may have stalled the engine may have stalled you're still kind of moving forward just not as mm-hmm. fast mm-hmm. and with as much power behind you mm-hmm. but what happens when you stop right do you, like it's do not you just ha- restarting your car your car has clunked out yeah i mean do you need it does your battery <laughs> need a jump start do you need i i i am old enough again to remember uh, st- <laughs> stick shifts and you could start the car anytime you wanted to by literally I popping the jump clutch, starting. Right? Yes. Well, you put, you push the car. All mm-hmm. you do is get somebody behind you to push it. And because mm-hmm. you're in a stick, you, mm-hmm. you pop the clutch and boom, the car would start. Yep. Um, you know, is there, is there that aspect to your life? Are you, um, are you stagnant? I mean, that's the worst thing that you could be in so. because now the water is sitting I know. And it's starting to turn green and, and, and yucky. Collect mosquitoes and, and, the, yeah, and the malaria risk coming. and West and, Nile virus. And so those, when we talk, when I talk about triggers for change, um, <laughs> it, you know, it's, I, I really usually get people, they think they've hit bottom when they get stuck. Right. They Sometimes really even bottom. stalled. Well, they hit, but they, and this is the interesting thing that I think will be great for you and mm-hmm. I to discuss is I think hitting bottom is different for everybody. I do too. Um, you know, for me, stagnant would be hitting bottom, <laughs> right. literally. Right. Um, you know, no pun intended. If I'm in a stagnant pool of water, I want out and I will do anything to get out of that water. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm just stalled and I'm, do- you know, dog paddling. Yeah. Uh, okay. Maybe it's, it's uncomfortable. 
but is sustainable for a short amount of time right. until somebody rescues me. That's not really hitting bottom because I'm dog paddling. Right, right. Um, and so, I, you know, I don't know from a therapeutic counseling mm -hmm. uh, perspective, Michelle, what is hitting bottom for you usually? What are you looking for when someone comes to you and I don't know that I've ever had anybody tell me I've, I've hit bottom. I don't think they say that. I think yeah, what they say is I want, I, I, I want to change. X. And then I ask them, are you curious about changing or are you committed to changing? Mm, yeah. Okay. That goes along with the stage model of change. So tell me more about that. Are you curious or are you committed to changing? How do you tell the difference? Um, you know, the, well, and then I, I will, once I ask that question, usually, uh -huh. uh, I just did this actually a couple of days ago with somebody. And I said, are you cu curious about the change that you've told me about? Or are you committed to it? Uh -huh. And they had right before that they had, they had cried and said, I can't believe I'm actually saying this to you. I don't like where my life is right now. Uh -huh. And I, I need all these things. And I said, cool. Are you curious about this or are you committed to it? And there was no answer. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't, I don't know. It was silence. It was literally, I don't know how to answer you. It's not like, I don't know the answer. It's right. I don't even know how to engage you at that point. Wow. At which point the next question becomes, let's do it this way. There's a change that you want. We've identified what that is, whatever mm -hmm. that is in your life. You know, you mm -hmm. want to eat healthier, you want to exercise more, you want to stop smoking, mm -hmm. um, you want more, a better family relationship, you pick, you pick more free time, you pick the suboptimal wiring that's going on. And, mm -hmm. and I will tell you, I do believe that at the end of the day, this is about programming. I do too. And scripting. Uh, so I, I look at it as like hacking the computer program that's running in your body. I am very well aware that there are lots of different components to a bad situation. And I really am not using the word yeah. bad in a judgmental way for me. Right, right, right. If someone says they want difficult. if someone says they want change, they think it's bad. It's not right. working. They're for them. uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, and provided that, at least from my perspective, that the bad isn't actually working for them. And I think, mm -hmm. Michelle, you and I both use the SUD scale a lot. Yes. Um, and for those of you who don't know, SUDs is the subjective units of distress, or as I use it, subjective <laughs> units of delight. Uh -huh. um, and, you know, I think both of us are asking, we're probing, is the pain that you're feeling while you don't like it? comfort level is it actually doing something for you you know oh, fear. Yeah. secondary gain yeah so f fear for example keeps us alive <laughs> at a very yeah. reptilian yeah. survival yeah. mode however yeah. most of the fears that we have don't really exist right we we make them up it's projections that we have and right. so my next question when someone can't answer the difference between curious and committed they can't uh -huh. just even process that is here's the change you've told me you want. Will you do anything to uh -huh. get there? And then I listen and it's, I love the butts, right? Uh -huh. I will do sure. anything to get there, but don't but... ask me to do, but don't <laughs> ask me to do this. Don't ask me to do that. Don't ask me to do this. It's like, okay. And now, now it becomes a, a judgment call as to are these legitimate butts 
you know, don't ask, but don't ask me to kill somebody. Okay. I get that. Now we're, now we're yeah, crossing yeah. some moral uh, boundaries, moral and, boundaries. And, okay. and ethical stuff, but you know, but don't ask me to go to uh, inpatient treatment. Don't ask me to quit smoking cold Turkey. Exactly. Don't, don't mm -hmm. ask me to lose 30 pounds. I'll lose 15 pounds. Right. Okay. The doctor, I told you to lose 50 pounds. I know, right. but don't ask me to do that. Don't ask me to check in with my doctor. Don't ask me to give up sugar uh, or Diet Coke. In, in my case, Diet big, Coke is a terrible one. You know, bread's <laughs> a big, when we go to triggers for change, and there are some NLP techniques, by the way, that I used. Uh -huh. uh, I was uh, Mountain Dew. I was drinking. Ah. I was drinking <laughs> literally probably six cans of Mountain Dew a day. Oh, my. You know, I want you to... It, I, it's a lot of caffeine. That's and a sugar. lot. Of, that's a lot of everything. Yeah, uh, yeah. And you know, when I decided to lose weight, um, and I think we've we've talked to people. I was dramatically fat. Let's just call it what it is. I okay. in my it, it's. I didn't like my body image. I didn't like how I felt in the clothes. And my doctor, my doctor, for the first time said, um, Scott, I think we should lose some weight here. Uh, and he, he told me where he wanted me to be. And I, of course, being an overachiever said, cool, then I'm going to lose 10 more pounds than that because then I got a buffer. I've built in my little safety zone and I wound up losing 75 pounds, uh, but in a smart way, it began with giving up the addiction. Right. Uh, and I'm going to call it that I, I literally had gotten into this comfort level, um, this, uh, I'm using the wrong word here, Michelle. It's not, it, it may have been addiction, but it's, it's, um, what is it when you're uh, reliant on something? You're not really addicted dependent. to it. De um, maybe dependent. It's not even dependent. It's, I've become so habitually used to doing it mm -hmm. that it's, it's just a comfort level is mm -hmm. I need my, I need my Mountain Dew, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it doesn't have to be Mountain Dew for you. It can be whatever you want. And I wound up using a, a, I got to the point, let me back up. I got to the point where I said, I will do anything to lose weight, but don't ask me to do it in an unhealthy way. Okay. And okay. I could, I, I'm okay with that, but, okay. but I had to get, I had to get to the committed point where right. it was like, I'm going to exercise. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm right. going to cut out this. I'm going to cut out that. Right. Uh, I actually had another butt that still exists to this day. It's don't ask me to give up bread. I freaking love bread. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so uh, that was that was a give and take that I set for myself. Okay. And then I used an NLP technique of looking. I'm going to be very vivid here for those of you who are visual folks, if you don't mind. Um, but at a very base level, I literally took a can of Mountain Dew, imagined it in my head. Yeah. Imagined popping, I'm, I'm listening to all this in my head, popping the, the little tab and then saying, what is the most disgusting, awful thing that I can imagine putting my lips on and drinking from? Yeah. Oh. Now you guys can imagine any, whatever that is for you. <laughs> and I imagined, I actually uh, imagined that thing now coming into contact with the Mountain Dew can. Oh. And, and that was now all over where you drink from, from the can. And when you, wow. when you 
vividly imagine that with the understanding mm-hmm. that your subconscious cannot tell the difference between something that's real and imagined when it's so vividly brought to life. Yeah. I anchored that. And it was literally that simple. Every time I pick up a can of Mountain Dew, there was this thing there. And that's what I was putting my mouth on. Interesting. And it was pain, literally what it is, pain avoidance. I made drinking Mountain Dew so repulsive. Mm. Now, I also want want to caution everybody. I, I do believe that most bad habits, because that was a bad habit of mine. Most bad habits really are better when you get rid of them, when you replace them with something else. Okay. And a good habit. And so, you know, I replaced it, frankly, with water. I replaced it with, and and I went to sparkling water because I like- I like sparkling water. You like the little bubbles. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, I go to the UK and it's like, I want my water with gas, right? I Um, know. (laughs) And that's, and so that's my little reward for for doing that. Is that going to work for everybody? No, because some- bad habits and some poor, poor addictions. And I say poor addictions, because I really believe, at least in the field that I work in with folks, uh-huh. there are good addictions. I mean, there, there are things that, you know, people can be addicted to getting outcomes, people can be addicted to love. I'm not talking about a sex addiction, they sure. can be hopeless romantics. That's what makes them somewhat creative. There are good addictions. Um, but when it comes to when it comes to the bad addictions, uh-huh. I, I I think that there are just a, so many different components to it, uh, yeah. and that's where Michelle, I think you come into play, where you can uncover like an onion. You know, uh-huh. what what are the things from the past that have played into where I am right now? Uh-huh. And I read an interesting thing over the weekend that most addictions. I'm going to go so far as to tell you, I think that when you and I work with clients and they want change, there's this root belief that they're not enough. I'm unlovable. I'm unworthy. Something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. And so um, when you work with the blame and shame component of this, uh, then I think you get the change. But um, I think at least again, I'll talk about it from my perspective, mm-hmm. doing life coaching, mm-hmm. the, the people have to get to the point where they say, I don't want this anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, to go back a couple points that you made about good addictions, I, I would say that from my perspective, all things in moderation is a very good method. Because even the best addictions, when they are truly compulsive Uh, they have negative consequences. When we think about, I have worked with people that have exercise addiction where, or exercise bulimia, where they eat and then they over-exercise to the point of injury, stress fractures, back problems. They can't, they have a back surgery and they can't even not exercise for the length of time required because they're so afraid of weight gain or so afraid of losing their their muscle strength and growth with work, which has a payoff usually of mounting some sort of success or financial payoff. I've seen people ruin relationships and, and they're alone and really hurt their children because they don't make time to balance out work and life. 
So, I mean, I even had a colleague of mine who was so into juicing and carrots that she got carrots, um, uh, she got a, a poison and turned orange. Great. So, you know, my point is like, yes, there are some addictions that have negative payoffs and some that have positive payoffs, but anything that reaches the point of obsessive imbalance is not healthy. It, it, it can really wreak some havoc in your life. And so I, I've got to tell you, I, I'm so glad you made that distinction because um, I was incorrect in saying the addiction as blanket as I did, because uh-huh. I am never gonna, going yeah. to let anybody live with a compulsion if I'm working right. with them. And of that's, course. and so I draw that distinction and I yes. will tell you, I've been there. It's very, I wasn't going to go here, but Michelle, you brought it up. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so it's your fault. <laughs> All uh, right. No, I'm I'll joking. <laughs> I own this, you know, and, and I'll share a very personal story with you. I told you I was losing 75 pounds. That was mm-hmm. my goal was mm-hmm. to hit where I needed to be uh-huh. and to keep it off. I also realized what that meant as far as financial impact, because what was happening I'd gain weight, I'd go buy more pants. I just right. get bigger pants. I'd right. get my suit retailored, blah, 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 right? right. And I, re- I started to realize that losing all that weight, right. there was no financial impact. Let's get real. Most people have, have are, you know, some people are living paycheck to paycheck. Well, if you can right. save money on clothes. Yeah, not buying more clothes. Then, uh-huh. then it impacts you. I also felt better. I could give you all of right. the reasons. So right, right. Um, Scott, the overachiever, uh, remember, I'm the recovering perfectionist. <laughs> uh, Scott, the overachiever, decided to freaking work out. And I've told this story on the show before uh, at times, but everybody will have to bear with me. Uh, one morning, uh, I'm getting, or one night, I'm actually getting ready for bed. My wife said, what is that? And I said, what is what? And she pointed, and I had this bump mm. uh, in my lower right, uh, lower abdominal area. And I looked mm. at it, and... Uh-huh. We've had a lot of family pass away from cancer. Oh. And my head immediately went to the went worst to fear. The okay. worst fear I could have. It's a freaking tumor. Yeah. Now it's at night. I didn't sleep. I'm oh. fretting. I'm worrying, whatever. Now I my doctor got me <laughs> nine o'clock in the morning, called the doctor. I said, No, this has to happen, blah, blah, blah. Got me right in. I know okay. I have a I have a wonderful doctor. Oh, yay. He got me in and he I, he said, What's wrong? And I lowered uh, the waistband of my pants and I said, I have cancer. Oh. And he oh. And, and I started to tear up and, oh, he, and, he, and Carolyn is there. And the doctor looks at me and said, what are we looking at? And I said, this, and he looked at it and he took his finger over and he pushed in the bump. It was a hernia. And then he pushed in the bump. And he said, Scott, you have a hernia. <laughs> I know. I, and I said, no, I said, no, I have cancer. And he said, Scott, <laughs> that's a hernia. How did you do that? <laughs> and I could distinctly. You overexercised. I, I actually remember when I did it. I was mm-hmm. decided I, I'm going to be this, right? I'm going to have builder. abs of steel. <laughs> I'm going to have this Batman ab thing, not realizing that it was yes. body armor that he had. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I was laying on one of those those inflatable medicine balls, the big yes. exercise balls and going backwards with 20 pound weights over my head. Right. Doing, you know, overhead pulse. Right. I knew when I did it cause I felt it right now. Fast forward, go to the surgeon. 
Right. Surgeon says, okay, we're not going to do this until there's pain. I said, well, there is pain. It's mm-hmm. impinging on the nerve. He said, okay, we're going to do this. He said, I said, first thing I said to him, Michelle was how quickly can I start exercising again? Yeah. See, that's bordering on that sense of like and the he, obsession, right? He said, here's the surgery. Here's how long you have to wait. I counted down. Well, at I least you did that. Wait. Good. <laughs> and he said, Scott, I'm going to warn you now, if you do this again, you're going to uh-huh. do it to the other side. Yeah, and when you do it yeah. to the other side, the next thing is going to be the middle. Yeah. Right. And I said, okay, 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 okay. Waited. Right. And literally the day that the time was up, went and did the exercise and did it again. Yeah. Went back to the surgeon. He said, are you a freaking idiot? Mm-hmm. I See, said, I've seen I'm that. exercising. So I get exactly. Yeah, now you get, yes. I that's get what exactly my point is. the compulsion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it can be very unhealthy. And I know that was very long-winded, right. but I'm saying this to folks that if you need help right. with whatever the, the the trigger is for you at this point, whatever mm-hmm. it is, if you find yourself stopped or stalled or stagnant, right? Or stuck, I know it's trite, but our your best thinking got you there. Your best thinking got you stuck. Mm-hmm. Your best thinking got you stalled. Mm-hmm. You're the problem. Right. Get, get some you help outside yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, I, and I would say, you know, so I want to go over the stages of change model because I just sure. want people to understand what that is. But I, I also understand that aside from, you know, addictions and, and that, you know, triggers can be one area of your life that's uncomfortable, or for some people, they need every area of their life to have become unmanageable before they're willing to do anything to make a change. So sometimes it's just one area is enough to activate change. Sometimes it's every area of your life is a mess before you need to make some change. And sometimes it's biochemical. Sometimes the problems are the way your brain is functioning. But what I will tell you is the stages of change model was designed by Prochaska and Di Clemente, and I could be pronouncing their last names wrong. But the idea is that number one, first stage is pre-contemplation. Nothing about me needs to change. I'm totally unaware that anything about me needs to change, not even thinking about change, right? That's pre-contemplation. Number two, contemplation or thinking. I'm beginning to think that making some sort of change in my life might be a good thing. I don't know what, I don't know when, I don't know how, but I'm beginning to think about it. Preparation is I've moved into making some small changes in my life towards the change that I want. Action is when we start taking the new behavior. So in your case, in your example, Scott, it would have been, I'm starting to exercise. Then maintenance. And in your case, Scott, I know you've maintained, you've, you've created new behaviors in your life that have now become healthy habits and that's maintenance. And then relapse. Relapse is a part of all change recovery, meaning we have slip ups, we make mistakes. Hopefully you don't go all the way back to the pre-contemplation stage where you just like, oh, you know, I've had a a long-term problem with alcoholism. Oh, I can just start drinking now. And, you know, you get yourself into some kind of difficulty and you don't realize, oh, wait, I really do manage. I need to manage this change in my life still. This is not something that I can just go back to and and willy-nilly not keep those healthy behaviors. So 
man, I've been through changes in my life that have cycles like this. I would say with your stop stall stagnant, personally, I think the probably the two changes that I've made in my life that have been pretty consistently permanent is number one, fear of public speaking was getting in my way. And that is one of the things I like to work with people on. You don't have to have mental illness to work with either me or Scott, right? Um, But people that have specific fears or phobias that they want to get over not being able to speak or teach or or talk to more than two people at once. If if I was talking to you and me and Alicia, (laughs) I'd start crying when it was my turn to speak. That's how bad my public speaking was. Michelle, I I remember (laughs) these conversations before we did this show. I know. I was like... (laughs) you know, what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? And and just as a quick little reminder for listeners, Uh um, go back to the show was, I think it was our last two shows ago, two episodes before this, where I went through my technique of stepping into somebody and becoming them. Yes. This, that is the technique that I use with elected officials and leaders and executives who have to do these big meetings, right? Press conferences and they're scared to death and I have them imagine Mm -hmm. someone who could do it, someone they would like to see. And then they step into it and it's built all around the William James concept of act as if it's true Mm -hmm. because it is. Yes. And then the other area that I'm really passionate about helping people in, because I've also had it, is financial change and wealth management, debt management and wealth management. Because as as a kid that was pretty poor, and got to UCLA on scholarships and grants and working my way through college and having jobs like there was no silver spoon for me. And at the time, college campuses were being predators in credit card companies were out all the time trying to convince us to have credit cards, but you don't learn in school how to manage Uh, money. I was shocked, by the way, I want to interrupt you one quick, Mm -hmm. I've got kids who obviously uh, went to college, I was shocked when they first started college, all the credit cards that were made available to them, yep. they have no income. No income. And and you can rack up credit. And I mean, thankfully, my parents kind of always modeled for me living within your means, but I got myself in trouble. If you think about it, like your, you know, your expenses way out measure the amount of money you're coming in, especially when you're not getting financial support from your parents. You like just to have rent in Westwood, California, West LA, California was crazy. You know, uh, cars in Los Angeles, can't get around without a car in Los Angeles. I mean, you can, but it's it's challenging. So there's a lot of expenses that are built into being a student in a large city like that, that don't exist in a smaller city. And I just, between that and then um, having someone in my life who was kind of making some difficult decisions that impacted me, um, I got myself into some trouble and I was willing that that was so I had so much shame around that, that I was willing to do anything to get myself out of the situation, anything moral. And like, I wasn't going to pretend that I I didn't accumulate that debt, but um, I was willing to do anything to get myself out of debt. And, and then eventually even student loans, which by the way, student loans never go away. Even if, if somebody decides to declare bankruptcy, they never go away so far in the United States of America and college is expensive. So, 
you know, college, grad school, et cetera. And I just worked my buns off and learned to live within my means. And I did anything. So between the speaking and the work to get the debt, those are the two things that I still have really healthy behavior habits around that I'm proud of and that have, have made a huge difference in the stressors in my life. Um, I still, I know that things can happen at any point, accidents, et cetera, and you can be in a financial difficulty or in our country, a healthcare issue or the death of a partner that you're relying on financially. So these are all things that I plan for now that I never planned for as a younger person. And um, it's, it's not easy, but when you hit that bottom, whatever that is, that bottom where shame, guilt, sadness, discomfort, simple as boredom, you start thinking about change. You start preparing to make a change. You start taking action. And when you're getting the results that you've wanted, you maintain them. And when you relapse, you hop back on that bandwagon fast and, and apply all those skills. And, and that's where uh, I'm a big believer in you putting together a network of family and friends who are good, yes. a good support system for you. Um, yes. With, without them, and this is the part that I think everybody needs to own, and it touches on, I think, what you get in 12-step programs. Um, and uh -huh. I, I, I'm talking about this as an observer. So for those of you who might be in any of these types of 12-step programs, please forgive me if I'm being a little naive here, but I do know that they talk a lot about enabling and yes. what you don't want is someone who enables you, who is not making you do your own work, who That's is not, right. you know, so you have a relapse. We all do that. We've all made yes. mistakes, as Michelle said. It's do you get back on your feet? Do you have the grit? That's right. To to continue forward. And if you need a support system, whether it's a coach or whether it's a therapist or whether it's a network of friends or whether you've got your 12 people in your cabinet of advisors, you know, do you have somebody that's going to kick your ass right. and keep you moving forward? Mm -hmm. Because nobody likes change. As soon in my experience is in working with folks that while we're talking about triggers for change right now, and I really, I think Michelle and I both really toyed with the term change because yeah. we could have said, you know, triggers for transformation, triggers for shift, <laughs> triggers for triggers for being nice to yourself. The reality <laughs> is when your brain, when that reptilian amygdala based brain, hears the word change, you go, oh, <gasps> shit. No! I'm not doing this. I don't I know, want I don't change. Like change. Nobody <laughs> wants change. You don't even like, you don't even like surprises. You like good surprises. You don't like surprises. That's right. Okay. We don't like that. And so no. the, the survival mode kicks in and it becomes very challenging. Sometimes I think probably Michelle for both you and me, when we work yeah. with clients yeah. to even discuss what change work is so that they feel comfortable enough that they're going to be uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. And um, again, I, I go back to my base, my, my binary code for determining if someone using their own, their own judgment, I'm not going yeah. to tell you you've hit bottom or not hit bottom. Right. You make that determination. Can you tell me you will do anything to get 
what needs to happen. Right. And if you can't tell me that, right, then I don't believe you've hit bottom enough for the drastic changes, shifts, transformations that Michelle and I are talking about here. Mm-hmm. And uh, why is that? Because you feel unlovable and you don't really deserve yeah. the life that that you want to have. You know, so that that's an important piece. If you're if you are hearing this and saying, uh, I don't know that I'm ready for change. I'm not. I don't know that there's there's something I won't do in order to achieve that change. Well, you know, maybe there's some self love or self esteem or something going on behind that that you you know don't feel like you deserve the life that you want. And, and there's a little. I remember Michelle and I were chatting off air uh, about. I've, I've been revisiting Dr. Burns' transactional analysis handbook, and it, it's called the games people play. And one of the games that's in there is the alcoholic and it's not that there's not a discussion about alcoholism there's not a discussion of the term alcoholic but there's a game called the alcoholic where you as an addict or someone who habitually uses things says to your friends and family let's just have one yeah and you actually initiate it uh-huh. and then of course everybody is your friend and everybody is your family. Let's just have one. And now it's your permission to now use. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And your one turns into four or five mm-hmm. or more. Mm-hmm. And so I think that part of the triggers for change is also being real with yourself. Mm-hmm. And at some times, I've, I've said this also in other shows, one of the things that I work with people with is if you want to change your life, then you need to change your friends. Uh-huh. Yeah. I've and, also heard change your, change your questions. There's a book out yeah. called uh, change your life, change your questions. That's a good, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. I know Wayne Dyer uh, wrote a number of books on that, that, that self-reflection concept. and that mm-hmm. introspection who Prather, mm-hmm. H-U-G-H, Hugh Prather, uh, P-R-A-T-H-E-R uh, wrote a number of self-help questions uh-huh. Uh, I think these are three books that he that I'm aware of that he wrote. Uh, all of these things are great stepping stones for uh-huh. you uh, to to reflect on. Are you stopped? Are you stalled? Are you stagnant? Yeah, you know, I do want to. Um, in the chat, uh, Alicia entered that she thinks change is great and and evolving is the shit. And I can say that because of the title of our show. So you've been warned, and and that's true. Like when we can get in that space where changing is its own intrinsic inspirational motivation. I think that is such a cool place to be because then you don't have the same kind of barriers to change that, that those of us that maybe are a little more stuck in our ways or resistant to change have, because you're just getting that intrinsic motivation from change. So, you know, if you're not there and not struggling with change, then I just recommend you do a little pre-contemplation or a little yeah. contemplation about any changes you want to make in your life and start taking small actions and big actions to get there. And I, I'll, that's I'll, cool too. Yeah. And I'll <laughs> even go, I'll even go as far as telling folks that we don't have to call it change. We don't have to call it transformation. We don't have to call it a shift. It's can you embrace the concept of new stuff? Yeah. Can you embrace the concept of New is fun. Curiosity yeah, yeah. is fun. Can you be curious enough about what's going on in your life rather than being complacent and saying, well, this right. is the way I've always done it. I will be right. this way forever. 
Right, right. I think I sort of want to, I'm going to wrap up my thoughts on this topic by, by probably misquoting one of your favorite people in mine. Um, What the caterpillar calls the end of the world, the master calls the butterfly. Oh, it's actually, it's Richard Bach and it's what, what, yeah, it's what the caterpillar calls the end of the world. Uh, The butterfly calls the beginning. Ah. So, you know, when you're thinking about change and you're like, oh, this is the end, there's no way, I, you know, I'm all done for, I can't do this anymore. You know, there can be a really huge opening that is just around the corner for you. Actually, that's what a great way to bring this show to a, a conclusion today by to simply saying, I think ultimately that's what Michelle and I want this show to be for you. We want to help you all be butterflies. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> All right. With, with that, I think we're at the end of the show. Michelle, anything else you want to so. add? No, it's been a great time per usual. Oh, I will do a quick shout out to, um, we, we get statistics on our listeners, on some of our listeners, and, and we do have quite a few female listeners. So shout out to you. But I also want to recognize a few people have listed themselves as non-binary. And I just love that we have become a more open-minded society that's not so, you know, black and white in so many ways. So shout out to those of you out there who are just who you are, no matter what. It's yep. pretty cool. We love, we, we love all of you and support all of you. And uh, as long as long as you're work, as long as you're using your powers for good, we're all for good and you. not evil. We're your supporters. Exactly. <laughs> I, I'm not going to tell you who it is. I believe next week we have a special guest. Uh, so uh, that, that will be a fun show. Again, mm-hmm. thank you for all who've listened. Michelle, thank you for a wonderful episode again. Yeah. And with that, we're going to bring this to an end. And peace. peace. Bye-bye. You've reached the end of another episode of Keeping Your Together in a Stressed World with Michelle Post and Scott Grossberg. If you like our show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate our broadcast, and leave a review. The podcast is for general information only and not intended to be legal or mental health advice, nor the formation of a lawyer-client, nor therapist-patient relationship. Stay tuned for our next episode, and thank you for listening.